Welcome to our podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Voss. Today's message focuses on the wonderful forgiveness that is ours, a forgiveness that is so great and so free that it covers all of our sins and gives us the peace of knowing that we are one with God. It's a forgiveness experienced by King David in his darkest hours of life. May that message fill us with joy and comfort to this very day. Today's sermon is based on 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26, through chapter 12, verse 10, and also verse 13. And our sermon is entitled, Take God's Message Personally. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. This morning's first reading and the words that will serve as our sermon text from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. The wife of Uriah the Hittite heard that her husband was dead, so she mourned for her husband. When her mourning was completed, David sent for her and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. She gave birth to a son for him. But what David had done was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came and told him this. There were two men in a city. One was rich and one poor. The rich man had a large number of flocks and herds. The poor man did not own anything except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He raised it so that it grew up together with him and his children. It ate from his food and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. When a traveler came to the rich man, the rich man was unwilling to take an animal from his flock or from his herd to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. So he took the lamb from the poor man and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David's anger flared up against that man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this is as good as dead. In place of that lamb, he will restore four lambs, because he did this and had no pity. Nathan told David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave the house of your master to you, and I gave the wives of your master into your embrace. I gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If this was too little, I would have added even more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his eyes? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife as your own wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So now the sword will not depart from your house forever because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord himself has put away your sin. You will not die. This is the word of our God. Bought by such love, Our life is not our own. Our praise, our all shall be for Christ alone. Amen. My dear friends, 
It's just business. It's nothing personal. That's what the hiring manager said to the job applicant, explaining, we just found someone that we feel is just a little more qualified for this position. It's not you, it's me. Nothing personal, the teenager said to his longtime girlfriend. It's just that I think that we'd be better off being friends. It's nothing personal. When, when those words start off a conversation, it's pretty likely that the words that follow are going to sting at least just a little bit. I'm reminded of a cartoon I saw on Christianity Today magazine years ago. It showed a pastor on Sunday morning after church greeting his members at the back door. And as they filed out of church, instead of the usual good morning, he said to each one, nothing personal, nothing personal. But the fact of the matter is that the Lord our God does want us to take his message personally. See, God doesn't proclaim his holy scriptures for his own benefit. He didn't read through the Holy Spirit into the writers of the Bible the words he wanted them to write down because he likes to hear himself talk. God gave us this message in the Bible, law and gospel, to lead us to repent and believe. And he wants us to repent and believe so that he can share with us that free gift of eternal salvation, faith in Christ Jesus. Today, let's learn a lesson from the life of Israel's most prolific king, King David. More pointedly, let's all be encouraged to take God's message personally. Take God's message personally, first of all, as you look into the mirror of the law. The law. There are two main teachings in the Bible, the law and the gospel. And in the law... God tells us what he commands us to do, and he also tells us what he forbids us to do. The law is summarized by the Ten Commandments. With, with the law, God shows us our sin and our desperate need for a Savior. Martin Luther said that the first use of the law, the first function of the law, is that it serves as a mirror for us. Because as we take long, hard looks into the law of God, we see very clearly the ways in which we've failed. We see our sin. Like a mirror that shows us exactly the way things are, God's law shows us in, in unmistakable terms that we have sinned against him, not once or twice, but daily and often. In fact, you might say that his law functions more like an x-ray machine than a mirror because it doesn't show us the way that things are outwardly. It also shows us the sin that we've harbored in our hearts and, and in our minds. Well, back around the year 1000 BC, the Lord sent his prophet Nathan to serve as a spiritual x-ray technician for King David. Why? Because King David was stuck in unrepented sin. You remember the story. One night, David was taking a stroll on the rooftop of his palace, and he noticed a beautiful young woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. Her husband's name was Uriah. David was filled with an intense lust. 
And as king, he realized that he could make things happen. And so he summoned for Bathsheba, brought her to the palace, and committed adultery with her. Bathsheba became pregnant with David's child. Desperate King David, instead of confessing the sin and turning away from it, started in on a plan to cover up his sin. And so he gave the order for her husband, Uriah, to be moved up to the front line in battle. Israel was engaged in war at the time. And sure enough, before long, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was killed in the line of duty. Tangled up in this horrible web of sin, David went right on with his plan. He took Bathsheba as his wife, figuring that he'd gotten away with his adultery and murder. But truth be told, we're prevented from shaking a finger at King David because we've seen this play itself out in our own lives time and time again. Smugly thinking to ourselves that no one has seen the sin that we've committed. Almost proud of ourselves that we've done such a great job of covering our tracks, piling often one sin on top of another. But we're oblivious to the fact that God knows and God sees. And that's when Nathan marched right into David's palace and told him a story story about a rich man and a poor man. This rich man had all kinds of flocks and herds, everything he wanted. The poor man had very little, had just one little ewe lamb, which was more of a family pet than a farm animal. The rich man not only had all kinds of fields and flocks and possessions, he also had a heart of stone. And so when some out-of-town company suddenly showed up at his house, instead of barbecuing one of his many sheep, he stole this poor man's one little ewe lamb. And King David was livid. David's anger flared up against that man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this is as good as dead. In place of that lamb, he will restore four lambs because he did this and had no pity. Ironic, right? David was so outraged at the sinful nerve of that rich man doing a thing like that, but completely ignoring what he had done. David had stolen Uriah's precious lamb. And then to cover it up, he had stolen Uriah's life. And so with the full force of the law, with words that must have struck David's heart like blows of a sledgehammer, Nathan looked straight at him and said, you are the man. David, you did this. David, you deserve to die. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his eyes? Much as we might like them to, mirrors and x-ray machines don't lie. They show us the real deal. The mirror of God's law exposes us for what we really are. Sinners who've rebelled against our God. Sinners who deserve to die. And our hearts hate to hear that. 
Now, wait a minute. I never committed murder to cover up an act of sexual immorality. I mean, I'd never do anything like that. Step closer to the mirror and look a little harder. And there you will see all the evidence you need of the sickness that is in your heart and in your life. Take God's law personally, the lies that you've told, the the selfishness and the envy and the greed and the lust and the resentment and the hatred and the self-righteousness, the times that that we've been absolutely outraged at the, the things that people have done but completely ignore our own sins like David. Friend, God's mirror doesn't lie. And as we stare into his law, the words ring out loud and clear. You are the man. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing evil in his eyes. Remember what it says in Psalm 130. It says this. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Not me. Not you. Not David. Not anyone. If. God kept a record of sins, but he doesn't. His grace wouldn't permit it, and his justice found another way. So Christian, take God's message personally, not only as you look into the mirror of the law, but also as you look to the power of the cross. You know, you go to church, and they tell you how sinful you are and how guilty you should feel, and then send you away. Have you ever heard people say things like that? I have. That's not it at all. Friend, you would never let a surgeon saw through your rib cage and perform surgery in your arteries unless he had first shown you that you have a deadly condition that needs to be fixed. God can't help you until his law first cuts you. You will never cling to the Savior unless you first realize that your sin has left you dangling over hell's cliff. And so when that sledgehammer of the law had smashed David's deceitful heart, he knew it was time to confess his sin. And he offered no excuses, and he offered no rationalizations. David doesn't look at Nathan to say, you know... Bathsheba really wasn't happy in her marriage. Uriah wasn't a very attentive husband. They were pretty much through anyways. He didn't say, well, look, hey, I made a mistake, all right? People make mistakes. He simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. Having been cut to the quick with full strength law, David now needed to hear, desperately needed to hear, sweet, unconditional gospel. And so Nathan told him, the Lord himself has put away your sin. You will not die. Now think about that. Before King David realized that the story that Nathan shared with him was about David, he was enraged and said, the man who did this deserves to die. He's as good as dead. And the guy that did this is going to have to pay for that, that sheep he stole four times over. But God's pure, sweet, unconditional gospel said to David, you will not die. You won't die 
eternally in hell, David, for that sin. Not only won't you have to pay for your sin four times over, you won't have to pay for them even once. You won't have to spend even five seconds in the fury of hell because of the cross of God's dear son, Jesus Christ. He will take your place. The power of that cross That's where we find our Lord Jesus Christ saying, Father, forgive them. There we find Jesus suffering and bleeding all the way until he's able to say to us, it is finished. I'll make your adultery mine. I'll become sin for you. I'll make your murder mine. I'll be held responsible as the one who lied and cheated and stole. I'll be held responsible as the one who was selfish and anxious and envious and impatient and constantly grumbling and complaining. I'll pay for all of that for every last one of your sins here on the cross. Friend, Jesus Christ died for you. It is critical that you take that message personally. That the Holy Spirit would lead you to say in your heart of faith, Jesus did all of that, not just for the world, but for me. The power of that cross is that it proclaims to you, to me, you are not going to die. You're free and you're loved and you're accepted and you're saved in heaven is yours in Christ. So, what was David going to do? Having heard that from Nathan, do you think that David thought even for a moment, wow, that was easy. If it's that easy to get away with stuff, I think I'll go out and look for another lady tonight. Of course not. To repent means to hate the evil that we've done, to turn away from it, even as we embrace the good news of our forgiveness, to trust that we are God's forgiven children and to live our lives accordingly. See, the power of the cross that that stirs our heart, take that message personally. As we look at the cross, we're led to say, look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at how much God loves me. I will not die, but live. I've got to serve and love a God like that. I can't possibly keep on embracing my sin and living in my sin. I want to live my life to his glory and his praise. Friend, when we take that message of God personally, it changes everything. When we come to realize that we are loved and forgiven and washed clean by the blood of Jesus, everything changes. And now our heart's burning desire is to respond to that great gospel message by living our lives for the Lord Jesus. It's nothing personal. I suppose that sometimes those words may help soften the blow of some difficult message that's shared when we're dealing with each other. But that phrase never characterizes God's interactions with us. Take his message personally. It is, after all, a personal message, a desperately needed message, a powerful message, an important message, a saving message. As you leave this place today, God grant you a heart of faith that clings to this great promise. The Lord has put away your sin. Amen.